Welcome again to our series on Last Day Events Explained. It's hard to believe that this is episode number 10 in this series. This is the last presentation going through the sequence of Last Day Events. We will have a presentation again next week, which will be a question and answer session, because there's been so many good questions that have come in, there's no way I can go through all of them in just a brief little Q&A at the beginning of each of these sessions. So we're going to have a whole session dedicated just to that. So I'm looking forward to that. I also want to make you aware of the fact that this series on Last Day Events has generated further interest so that Audioverse has talked to me about doing a verse-by-verse in-depth study on the book of Daniel that we will do in a similar format to what we've done here with Last Day Events Explained. So keep your eyes open for that. That will probably come out not too long after this series is finished. And so um, I'm looking forward to that as well. So I am going to address um, at least one question before we get into the presentation Today And again, if you do have questions, send them to contact at audioverse.org. That's the email address. You can email your questions in. A lot of good questions have come in. One of the questions that I wanted to address in particular, there was a single mother who wrote in discussing her situation about living in the city, not being able to afford moving to the country at this time. As I said in the previous presentations, ideally it would be best to move to the country if you can. However, you want to move so responsibly, you want to be able to support your family. You don't want to just blindly move without being able to support the family, put food on the table, and, and all of those things. And so there are circumstances such as being a single parent where your providing for your children and you're in a situation where that's the best place that you can be where you are right now. But keep praying that God will open an opportunity for you to find a job and a living situation that would perfectly fit your needs. If if you pray according to God's will, God will answer those prayers. And if you ask for him to, to give you leads, he can do that for you as well. So don't just sit back and say there's no way it can happen pray and look for opportunities, but move forward in faith when the right situation comes up. And there was a related question about when it's time to flee the cities. You know, the Sunday law will be the time to flee the cities, the large cities, um, into the country, the smaller towns, and finally when um, the final crisis escalates and the death decree comes Probably even before the death decree, it will be time to flee into the mountains. But at the initial stages of the Sunday law, we won't go straight to the mountains necessarily, but eventually that's where God's people will end up. I will also mention that a few, a couple of questions came in again about the timing of the personation of Christ by Satan. I'm going to go into that in a lot more depth next week in our question and answer session where we go through the questions and answers, and that is an important question. Some good resources have been sent to me, and I'm going to make sure that we have the time to address that fully and completely. So we'll look at that again next week as well. I'm going to ask the Lord to be with us now as we get into our presentation and 
Um, so let's bow our heads asking the Lord to be with us today. Father in heaven, thank you that we can go through this topic of last day events with the confidence that Jesus is coming again and that he's coming soon. I thank you for how you have been stirring hearts and minds to revival and reformation. I've been encouraged by messages that have come in stating such, and I pray that we would be students of the word and that we would live by every word and that we would be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. So be with us now as we go through this beautiful topic of the second coming of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing I will mention before we get into the presentation. Again, if you haven't had a chance to get a copy of my book on Daniel, um, you can get it from Remnant Publications, or you can get the Kindle version from Amazon. So um, now's a good time to be studying prophecy or share this with your friends. So this last presentation, episode number 10, is on the second coming. And as Seventh-day Adventists, this is at the very heart of our message. This is what we preach. This is what we talk about. It's in our name, the name Adventist. Advent refers to the Advent, the second Advent of Jesus. We are Adventists. We believe that Jesus is coming again. And of course, Seventh-day shows that we believe that the Seventh-day is the Sabbath, a beautiful name that we have. And so we are going to go through the concept of the second coming and why we are still here. Why has Jesus not yet come? And of the promises that he is coming, despite the fact that there seems to be a delay. Let's look at some clear Bible verses that clearly describe the second coming of Jesus. The first one is Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. Here Jesus says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So it's not going to be a secret rapture. It's going to be a literal coming in the clouds as the lightning shines from the east to the west. Nobody's going to miss it who's alive on the earth. There's not going to be a secret rapture where a few people are stolen away or even a large number of people are stolen away while others are left behind. No, it's going to be a clear, visible coming that all the world will clearly see and the righteous and the wicked will see this as the lightning shines from the east to the west. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Another clear passage is Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And I encourage you to follow along here in Scripture. So not only is this coming going to be like lightning shining from the east to the west, Revelation 1, verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so, amen. Every eye will see him. He's going to come with clouds. He's coming with the angels. Every eye will see him. And there's also the mention here of the special resurrection. They also which pierced him. Remember Jesus said to Caiaphas and to the rulers at his trial that they would see the Son of Man coming in with with power and great glory. And so they will be resurrected to see this coming. But those who are alive, every eye will see him again. There's not a secret rapture where some are taken away and some are left. Now every eye will see the coming of Jesus. And so the secret rapture has been a more recent phenomenon in 
dispensational Christian teachings that is not biblical. The Bible clearly teaches that the coming of Christ will be like the lightning that shines from the east to the west. Every eye will see him. And there will even be a special resurrection where the wicked who pierced Christ will see his coming as well. Another beautiful passage. There's many. These are some of the ones that I am looking at today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. A very clear and, and beautiful passage that describes the coming of Jesus. So notice what the Apostle Paul says here, starting in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now the word in the King James here, prevent, actually means proceed. Shall not precede them which are asleep. And then verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, this passage clearly teaches the state of the dead, that the dead in Christ will rise first at the coming of the Lord. Um, but that doesn't include the special resurrection, which we've talked about in previous presentations. But the dead in Christ will rise first. Christ has descended from heaven with a shout. And then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the dead in Christ who are risen from the graves, and they go up in the in the air first, and then we're caught up together with them in the clouds. Here's also a, just a beautiful message about the coming of, of Jesus that we have to look forward to. We have these promises that Jesus is coming again. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together. You know, we ended last week's presentation on the deliverance of God's people, and here's the promise that we will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, Daniel chapter 2 also paints the picture of the coming of Jesus. Daniel chapter 2, we see a stone strikes the image. We see this in verses 34 and 35. Sorry for the typo on the screen there. Daniel 2, 34 and 35, it talks about, You saw till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. And then you see that the image was carried away, and the image became a great mountain, and the sons that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then verses 44 and 45 says, In the days of these kings, so those are the kings of the kingdom of the image, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall be but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And so the stone strikes the image. God sets up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That is the second coming. Now, in this 
in the book of Daniel, and, and by the way, as I mentioned, we are going to go into an in-depth study of the book of Daniel. You just look at this big picture on the screen here. Daniel chapter 2, 34 and 35, and then verses 44 and 45 are describing the second coming of Jesus. The following prophetic chapters give us further information about the end of the world, and we've been drilling in on last day events specifically, but Daniel 2, after the kingdoms of this world, we see that Jesus is coming again. Daniel 7 shows after the kingdoms of this world that there's a judgment in heaven, which begins in 1844. Daniel 8 shows after the kingdoms of this world, the sanctuary in heaven will be cleansed. That begins in 1844, based on the 2300-day prophecy. And then Daniel 11 and 12 show after the kingdoms of this world, Michael stands up, probation closes, we enter into Jacob's time of trouble, and then God's people are delivered and Jesus comes back. And so you see the sequence of final events. Here's the interesting thing. Daniel 2 and Daniel 11 and 12 take us to the end of the world. Second coming, close of probation. Close of probation and second coming, there's not a lot of time between that. We don't know when the second coming is going to happen. We don't know when probation is going to close. Here's what we do know. Daniel 7 and 8 take us to 1844. So the very amazing and fascinating thing is that the most important period of Earth's history, prophetically speaking, is from 1844 to the second coming. And it just so happens that Revelation 14 in the first angel's message announces that the hour of God's judgment is come. That's 1844. And the three angels' messages are designed by God to show us how to live in the most important period of Earth's history, which is from 1844 to the second coming, which is the hour of God's judgment. 1844 to the close of probation is the hour of God's judgment. And then Jesus comes back shortly after that. And so we see this picture, the sequence of last day events, and this is what we've been talking about as we've gone through last day events explained. Jesus is coming again. We know that. We understand that. We believe that as Seventh-day Adventists. But there's some things that have to happen as we've been going through this sequence of events. And that is, and we saw this in Matthew 25 or 6, we saw how the midnight cry is analogous to the loud cry and how that points to the fall of Babylon and that Babylon's sins have reached heaven. And Ellen White says on last day events 198 that Babylon's sins reach heaven when the law of God is finally made void by legislation. That's the National Sunday Law. In order for Jesus to come back, there's some things that are going to happen before he comes back. There's going to be the National Sunday Law with its four stages. And when the National Sunday Law begins... The latter rain will be poured out and the loud cry will be given. This will eventually lead through the four stages of the Sunday Law to the close of probation when Michael stands up. When Michael stands up and probation closes, the seven last plagues begin to fall, culminating with the seventh plague in which Jesus returns at the end of that plague. So those are the things that are going to happen. We believe that Jesus is coming again, but we understand as Seventh-day Adventists that until there's a national Sunday law, we don't have clear certainty for the end of the world. We know that we're getting closer and closer as this world is falling apart, as the pandemic continues to ravage the world, and as there's civil unrest. We know that we're getting closer, but until there's a national Sunday law, 
The parable of Matthew 25 shows that the church remains in a sleeping state until the Sunday law comes. Then we have the midnight cry, a loud cry, and the announcement that Babylon's sins have reached to heaven. That's given under the power of the latter rain with a loud cry. So that's where we are at prophetically. We are waiting for the national Sunday law. Jesus has not returned. We still haven't had a national Sunday law. So the question is, why are we still here? Has something gone wrong in our waiting for the return of Jesus? Why are we here in the year 2020? I mean, the Millerite movement came and preached with certainty the soon return of Jesus that they thought would occur on October 22, 1844. The pioneers came along after that, even. James White, Ellen White, Joseph Bates, J.N. Andrews, J.N. Loughborough, Uriah Smith, and others who preached the soon return of Jesus, and yet here we are, we've been preaching this message as a movement since 1844, and the Sunday Law has not yet happened. There was a Blair Bill that discussed the Sunday Law in 1888, but it didn't happen, and Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 5, pages 464 and 465, that, that the abomination of desolation is not fulfilled until there is actually a Sunday law that is passed. Not when, there, not when there's a Sunday law that is discussed. And some people have said, oh, there's two sieges of Jerusalem. Well, Ellen White makes it clear that the siege of Jerusalem is the passing of the Sunday law, not a discussion of the Sunday law in 1888. It's when the Sunday law is passed, and so we're not there yet. So why are we still here? Why is there a delay? You know, as I've mentioned in this parable, um, there is a delay in the waiting for the coming of Jesus. That's described clearly by Jesus in Matthew 25. While the bridegroom tarried or was delayed, the word kronitsu in the Greek means to be delayed. So there is a delay. Since 1844, we've believed that the second advent of Jesus is imminent, and as this pandemic ravages on, we think it's even more imminent. But the thing you have to watch out for is that there's always a possibility, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, that something could change with the circumstances of the pandemic where it kind of calms down, and in a year or two or six months from now, it kind of settles down and things kind of settle back into business as usual. And I just want to make an appeal to all of you who are following along with this series because I'm not setting any dates. I'm just giving you the big picture outline of what we can expect for what's going to happen with the coming of Jesus. If the pandemic were to settle down and if social unrest were to settle down, Please don't go back to being Laodicean and lukewarm. Just because business as usual could come back around, that doesn't mean that we should go back to being lukewarm or Laodicean. God has allowed this pandemic and this crisis to happen to try to awaken us as a church so that we would become more on fire for the end-time message that he has given to us. For too many decades now, Adventism, especially in North America and in the Western world, has become numb to the message of the second coming of Jesus. And I believe these events that are happening in the world right now is God's way of waking us up again to remind us this is a sign that Jesus is coming again that he is coming soon, and we as Seventh-day Adventists need to be proclaiming that message that he is coming back. 
On the other hand, this pandemic may not settle down, and this could lead to the end of all things. I'm not saying that it will, but I'm saying that it could, and we need to be ready to meet Jesus. And so there is a delay. You know, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, shows that Jesus as the husbandman is waiting for the fruit of the earth to ripen until he receives the early and the latter rain. Now, the early rain was poured out prophetically at Pentecost. It continues on in the experience of conversion, where the receiving of the Holy Spirit under the fruits of the Spirit is seen in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But then, Finally, there is the latter rain that needs to be poured out. And I know I've already mentioned Jeremiah 3, verses 1 through 3 in an earlier presentation in this series, that the latter rain has been withheld because God's people are described as harlots. We refuse to be ashamed, just as the Laodicean church refuses to be ashamed by the nakedness of our lack of righteousness by faith. And so it's the Laodicean condition of the Seventh-day Adventist church that is delaying the outpouring of the latter rain, and of the second coming of Jesus. God's not waiting for the Pope and the President to work together to bring a Sunday law. If he has a people that are ready, it will happen right away. Um, any president in the last several decades could have been the president to bring in a Sunday law. Any of the Popes, same thing. But God's people haven't been ready. We haven't been ready to give the loud cry message. So, Let's look at a few statements from Ellen White describing this delay. This is Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 450, written in 1900. Had the purpose of God been carried out by his people in giving to the world the message of mercy, Christ would, ere this, have come to the earth, and the saints would have received their welcome into the city of God. Now, I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. The fact that we see the world falling apart, and it seems like the winds are starting to be release tells me that God's people are getting serious about being ready for Jesus to come. And just an appeal to all of you, don't place your stock in Joe Biden or Donald Trump and the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. That's not going to save you or us or the world that we live in. It's only going to be Jesus that saves us. And he's going to be the one that delivers us. And so too many Seventh-day Adventists are all wound up about politics right now when we should be primarily focused on doing God's work to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. So there is a delay. We need to be giving the message of mercy to the world. This is Evangelism, page 695. Had Adventists, after the great disappointment in 1844, held faster faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providence of God, receiving the message of the third angel and in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God. The Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed, and Christ would have come ere this to receive his people to their reward. So again, we see um, if God's people had held faster faith, Christ would have come. Evangelism 696, for 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. Notice this, the same sins. What are those sins? Unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. And you know, it makes me sad to see my fellow brothers and sisters arguing about which political candidates or parties should be supported at this time. 
when the strife among God's people is one of the things that is keeping Jesus from coming back. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your stock in the political parties of this age. We should be uniting as a people to give the loud cry message, and we can't do that if we're throwing in our stock with the political parties of this time, both of which are corrupt. We should be uniting as a people. We need to put away unbelief, murmuring, rebellion. We need to put away worldliness, unconsecration, and strife. That's, that's what's kept us as a professed people in this world of sin and sorrow for so many years. And then Evangelism 696, written in 1901, letter 184. We may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years, as did the children of Israel. But for Christ's sake, his people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequence of their own wrong course of action. That was written 119 years ago. We as a people have remained here in this world for many years because of insubordination. Don't think that if we were to continue in the same sins of 120 years ago, that Jesus will come anyway. Now, I believe that he is coming soon because the world is falling apart, and it tells me that God has a people that are, that are getting serious about following him completely and putting an end to the insubordination. Um, but, you know... God needs a people who will truly believe and who will truly be consecrated and who will not be worldly. And You know, it's amazing to me how worldly we as a people have become, the way we look, the way we dress, the way we eat, the entertainment we engage in. And it's not that I'm here trying to come down on you, but it means that we as a people have taken our eyes off Jesus and we want to look like the people around us and be like the people around us. And God is looking for a holy people that he can take off this planet, and we are to be that people. But instead, we've been unconsecrated, worldly, striving to be noticed. There's all sorts of different things that happens in ministry, where ministries try to compete with each other, strife among God's people. It happens with adornment and entertainment and all sorts of different things. And those sins have kept us in this world for many years, and God has been laying generations to rest, looking for a people who he can take through the final crisis of Earth's history. So, Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 16, is a description of the second coming of Jesus, and it's certainly worth taking a look at. I'm going to read these verses here for you. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. This is immediately after the three angels' messages are described. Verse 14 of Revelation 14 says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So the earth is reaped when the harvest is ripe, and Christ is the one, he's the son of man, sitting on a cloud who has the sickle in his hand, waiting to bring the harvest home. And again, I've heard some say, well, the harvest has been ripe for a long time, but 
Christ is just waiting to save more and more and more, and that's why he hasn't come yet. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So Christ hears the voice saying, the harvest of the earth is ripe. Mark 4, 28 and 29 tells us how long the harvester waits to bring in the harvest. Mark 4, 28 and 29 says, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, and the marginal reading for that is when the fruit is ripened, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. So when there's a ripened harvest, immediately Jesus returns. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what he's waiting for. And until he has that people, the four ones are going to be held. The fact that we see the unrest in the world happening now tells me that that harvest is ripening and it's getting close. So don't think that if you just continue to be Laodicean that Jesus will delay his coming forever because... While it's true in theory that if we stay lukewarm and insubordinate and worldly that the harvest won't ripen and Jesus will continue to wait, but the signs around us right now are telling us that there is a harvest that's ripening, that there is a people that are becoming serious about being ready for Jesus to come, and we want to be part of that ripened harvest. Amen? It would be a shame to have all of this head knowledge and not have it translate into a converted heart that would be prepared for the coming of Jesus. So just a few other statements. I'm sure you've seen these before. This is Christ Object Lesson 67. The wheat develops first the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. The object of the husbandman in the sowing of the seed and the culture of the growing plant is the production of grain. He desires bread for the hungry and seed for future harvest. Now, so here's the comparison. So the divine husbandman looks for a harvest as the reward of his labor and sacrifice. Christ is seeking to reproduce himself in the hearts of men. So Christ is looking to produce people like himself. And he does this through those who believe in him. The object of the Christian life is fruit-bearing, the reproduction of Christ's character in the believer, that it may be reproduced in others. So that's a powerful statement. We are to have Christ's life reproduced in us so that our witness will reproduce his character in others. It's not just to know about Jesus so that we can be ready for him to come is to be like him so that our witness produces his character in those around us. That's how the harvest will be developed. Going on a couple paragraphs later, there can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell of his goodness. Do every duty that presents itself. Carry the burden of souls upon your heart, and by every means in your power, seek to save the lost. You know, it's not just about this whole last day events explained thing. is not so that you can have a pantry full of non-perishable dried goods and canned foods and stashed up cash and gold and whatever so that you can flee to the mountains and take care of your temporal needs so that you won't go hungry through the time of trouble. That's not what this is about. This is about sharing with lost souls and by every means in our power seeking to save the lost so that we understand the sequence of last day events and we see that God needs a people who are Christ-like in character who will be evangelists, soul winners, to produce a harvest that is ripened. And that's what he is lacking. We've been so centered in self. Our 
motivation for being ready for the coming of Jesus is even selfish. And we think about how we can have our temporal needs taken care of and all of that kind of thing. And we forget the Bible promise that bread will be given him as water will be sure. God will take care of the temporal needs. He's looking for people who will be unselfish and seek to save as many others as possible. That's what it's all about. Going on, it says, As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the Spirit will ripen in your character. Your faith will increase. Your convictions deepen. Your love be made perfect. More and more you will reflect the likeness of Christ in all that is pure, noble, and lovely. And then we see the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest unto eternal life. This is what God needs. You know, right now there's too much strife and unrest when we need to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Um... Now we see what this fruit does when it's produced in the lives of God's people. When the fruit is brought, when the fruit is brought forth immediately, He putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of Himself in His church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in His people, then He will come to claim them as His own. That statement's crystal clear. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, what's that character like? It's the fruits of the Spirit. And when we have the fruits of the Spirit, we will be soul winners, and the character of Christ will not only be reproduced in our lives, but the fruits of the Spirit in our lives will then produce the fruit of the character of Christ in the lives of those who are converted. We're not just gaining church members who know doctrines, and that's important, but we are gaining disciples who become like Christ in character. And then Christ will come. He will come to claim them as his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, where all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. So, and this is a standing rebuke to Seventh-day Adventists, where all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with a seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened. You know how many people I've heard say that witnessing isn't their gift? You know why witnessing isn't your gift? It's because you aren't converted. That's just the bottom line. If you're converted, you will be a witness. And I hear people say, well, I'm a silent witness. And that's the most... uh, inaccurate moniker I can think of in the church today because in reality most of Adventism is a silent witness. We are silent to the witness of being like Jesus. We aren't witnessing for him the way we should. If Christ were truly in our hearts by faith and we were like him in character, we would be bearing fruit to his glory and quickly the earth would be sown with the seed of the gospel. But we're too bound up in our worldly Laodicea and comfortable existence to take a call to go to the Middle East, North Africa Union, because that's hard territory. We're even too lazy to witness to our neighbors. And when we have people cross our paths 
in our workplace, we're too embarrassed or ashamed to share Christ because the bottom line is we're unconverted. That's one of the great challenges of us as a people today. Now, I realize that there are some of you who are true witnesses for the Lord, but the fact that we're still here is because we've been worldly, unconsecrated, we fight with ourselves, and we haven't been doing the work that God has called us to be. And if we were to develop Christ's character in our hearts and in our lives, we would quickly see the seed of the gospel sown to the whole world. That's what Christ is looking for. And the last great harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. That's the issue. Now, I'm going to go back to what I shared last week, because Jesus is coming soon. There is coming a day when we will have a people that are like Christ in character, and I believe that day is coming closer and closer. The events in this world around us are showing us that Christ has a people that are nearly ready for his return. The question is, are you one of them? And so the great news is that Jesus is coming again. And so notice these statements from Great Controversy. The voice of God is heard from heaven declaring the day and hour of Jesus' coming and delivering the everlasting covenant to his people. Like peals of loudest thunder, his words roll through the earth. The Israel of God stands listening with their eyes fixed up where their countenances are lighted up with his glory and shine as did the faces of Moses when he came down from Sinai. The wicked cannot look upon them, and when the blessing is pronounced on those who have honored God by keeping his Sabbath holy, there is a mighty shout of victory. Soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. It is the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror. Now, then Isaiah 25, verse 9, we see this promise where the righteous will look up and they will say, Lo, and I pray it will be us. I pray it will be we, God's last day people, may it not be a generation after us. May it not be our children in old age or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren. May we as this generation rise up and allow the fruits of the Spirit to be developed in our lives. May we fall at the foot of the cross broken and allow the old nature to be broken up so that Christ may be formed within, so that someday soon we Uh, with the righteous will cry as we see Jesus coming in the clouds. This small cloud the size of a man's hand becomes larger and larger, and we see Jesus in the clouds, and we lift up our voices and we say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. Friends, that's what we are living for. That's what we are waiting for. Why do you want the coming of Jesus to be delayed? What, do you want to live a few more years on this earth so you can earn a few more bucks, or you want to live a little bit longer so you can get married, or you want to have kids. I mean, it's the cycle goes on and on and on, generation after generation. Young people say, well, I want to get married before Jesus comes back. And then it's like, well, then I want to have children before Jesus comes back. Well, then I want to see my children grow up before Jesus comes back. Well, then I want to see my children have their children so I can have grandchildren. And then it's like, well, then I want to see my grandchildren grow up. And then guess what? Your life's run out and you're about ready to go into the grave. And the cycle never ends. There's got to be something more important to you than the things of this earth. And that is seeing Jesus 
face to face, having not tasted death. Because generation after generation have been laid to rest, and many are going to be raised from the dead, from their graves, to see Jesus come in the clouds, and they will be righteous, and they will exclaim this cry from Isaiah 25 as well. But there needs to be a living generation who places a priority on being ready to meet Jesus, and of having a priority of Jesus being first, and everything on this earth being secondary, and that our purpose on this earth now is to have the character of Christ reproduced in our hearts and lives so that by the grace of God, his character be, can be reproduced in others as we sow the seed of the gospel. Sowing the seed of the gospel is not simply to convert people to the theory of truth. It's to make them like Jesus in character. That's God, what God is waiting for. And so, the second coming is going to deliver God's people from the wicked and from off this planet. And it's also going to be a testament that God has a ripened harvest who are like him in character. That's what we're waiting for. Jesus is coming soon. This pandemic and the social unrest is telling us that Jesus is coming soon. And as this pandemic goes on, as I've said already, it would be ashamed if this pandemic has not brought you into a closer walk with Jesus. And I would hope that as you've gone through this 10-part series, that you are being inspired and motivated to give your all to the Lord, to be ready to meet him when he comes, to be faithful unto death that he may give you a crown of life. And may we be that generation that does not taste death. May we be part of the 144,000 who stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, having no fault and no guile in our mouth, that we are like Jesus in character, that we are holy, a holy people unto the Lord. May we repent of our lukewarm Laodicean condition. May Christ come in as he knocks on the door of our hearts so that he can then place the seal of the living God in our foreheads so that the mystery of God can be finished, so that the character of Christ can be fully formed within so that he can come back for a ripened harvest. I'm so thankful that Jesus is coming again. I'm thankful that he's coming soon. And I'm thankful for the calling that he has given to each one of us. May we be faithful is my prayer. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are sending Jesus to take us home. May heaven be home in our hearts. May it not be this earth. May it not be the things of this world. May we not be living for this earth. May we, may we be living for Jesus. May his character be formed within. May we share that character with all those around us. And I just pray that the coming of Jesus would be soon and that we would be ready. Thank you for giving us the privilege to go through this series. May we all be found faithful, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless each one of you, and next week we will have a question and answer session. There's a lot of questions that have come in. I'll do my best to answer as many of those that have happened, and so you can look forward to the question and answer session next week. And then sometime not long after that, we're going to start a verse-by-verse -verse series on the book of Daniel, which will give us even further solid understanding for what's going to happen before Jesus comes back. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.